Hi friends, it's Kira. Welcome to the Astrology Show. Um, thanks for being here. I am really, really excited to share this episode with you. It's all about Mercury. Um, and I have two really fun Virgos with me, um, Gabe and Jason, and you know, we'll get into it in the episode. Um, but I guess for a little housekeeping up front, um, well, for one, thank you for everyone who has subscribed and, you know, a couple of people have written reviews and they're so nice and the five stars and the four stars and the shares on social, everything has just been really sweet and lovely. And, you know, I'm just... I'm feeling the love. It feels really good. Um, so thank you. And of course, to my lovely Patreon supporters, um, special thanks. I mean, you guys are, I, I'm, it feels really cool that people want to support me in this podcast. Um, and so with that, I wanted to invite everyone right now who's listening, um, to check out my Patreon page and see if it might be something that you're interested in, um, supporting. I have three tiers. Um, the first tier is the conjunction and that's $3 a month, which is, I think a pretty, a pretty like good number to just like, so show support. Um, and with that, you'll get all the episodes, um, ahead of time. So early access and then, and you know, who knows what else I'm going to start putting on Patreon once I have more time. But, um, the, the $6 tier is the sextile and with that you get the early access and then you'll also get, um, you'll, I'm going to host monthly AMAs. So basically like ask me anything for like an hour or so, Um, and we're going to do that first one very soon, September 20th. So if you are interested in that, it's just going to be like us hanging out on zoom, talking about whatever you want to talk about. (laughs) Um, and I think that could be really fun. So that's at the $6 a month tier. Um, and then I have the trine tier, which is $10 a month. And with that, you'll get the AMAs and you'll also get the early access And then you'll also get the chance to potentially, um, have me give you a reading on the air. (laughs) Um, it's not really on the air. We'll record it and then I'll post it, but I'm really excited for that because I really just like love doing, like, I love being an astrologer and looking at people's charts and talking to them about their lives. And so, um, you know, I think that would be really, I'm excited to start doing that and we're going to, we're going to start on that pretty soon. So that's at the $10 tier. Um, and yeah, that is a great way to support the show as well as, you know, the sharing and the five stars and the reviews. It helps a lot. It really does. And so, um, yeah, thanks for that. Um, do I have any more housekeeping things? I, well, if you don't already know, I am the, the director of Fresh Voices in Astrology, which is a platform that um, basically gives, gives a place for um, more newer, up-and-coming, lesser-known astrologers to present on topics that they're passionate about. 
And we had a really awesome annual summit in um, August. And right now we're switching back to doing our monthly webinars. So we just had a really great webinar um, by Alexis. I realized I like butchered her name before and now I'm afraid to say her last name, but um, Duong, I think and Alexis, and she's really fun, Aries Astrology. Um, she gave this really, really awesome webinar. It's her first webinar ever um, about Venus and Mars, and it was called Connect and Break, and really like spoke to how we use our Venus and Mars in relationships, and it was really, really good. Um, so our next one is a Mars retrograde um, panel discussion, and I'm really excited about that. That's going to be Sunday, September 13th, um, 5 p.m. Pacific, and it'll be me moderating a discussion with um, four great astrologers. It's Diana Rose Harper, um, Sabrina Monarch, Steph Koifman, and Taylor Ursula. And the five of us, I guess, are going to be talking about this Mars retrograde, which starts on Wednesday, September 9th. Um, and hopefully, like, you know, give you give you a really cool multifaceted way of looking at it, but also answering questions um, at the end. So you can check that out, freshvoicesinastrology.com. Um, and maybe I'll, if I can remember, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> And what else? I think I'm, once I can get my lecture, How to Survive Your 20s, um, once I get the recording from that, I'm going to put it for sale on my website. And I'm also planning on doing a little webinar sale on my website in honor of Mars Retrograde, which rules my second house of money. So I'm like, you know, I should probably like put some stuff on sale. Um, I don't know if that's like, I don't know if that's, I don't know. That's the way I'm looking at Mars in my second house for the next couple months um, and being retrograde. But I think I'm going to stop talking because I'm out of breath, which tends to happen <laughs> when I'm <laughs> having Mercury and Sag is a trip, man. Like I just, um, yeah, my, my Mercury just functions in such a weird way. And part of that is running out of breath when I'm talking. Um, <laughs> so let me shut up and uh, let you listen to this episode about Mercury. And just so you know, at the end, I will be um, doing the the Orphic Hymn to Mercury. So if you want to hear that, stick around till the end. But until then, enjoy. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Jason. How's it going? Good. How are you, Kira? I'm good. I'm super excited to talk to you two about Mercury. Um, and I guess like just to start off, I like to, to kind of mark the date and time. Um, it is currently Thursday, August 13th, and it's 5.29 p.m. in Los Angeles, California. And I know both of you are on the East Coast. I'm not. Um, I'm in the Midwest. You, oh, you're in the Midwest. Okay. So so Gabe, I know, is in Jersey. Yeah. Um, and Jason, where are you? I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. 
Awesome. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, let's start off by having you two introduce yourselves. Um, if you're comfortable with sharing your sun, moon, and rising, that'd be cool. And tell us about, like, your astrology practice or how, you're, how you use astrology. Um, Gabe, why don't you start? All right. I'm Gabe Roses. My sun, moon, and rising is Virgo, Libra, and Gemini. So I'm a little mercurial, so I think I fit this podcast today. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Um, my practice is mostly Hellenistic, um, with a little bit of medieval in there. I started out with medieval years and years ago, doing the uh, Robert Zoller course. And from then on, I just kept going backward in time. And so then I ended up uh, studying with uh, the people at Project Hindsight for a bit. And then... I've pretty much been missing around on my own for a little while now, so. But that's, that's cool. sort of my trajectory. Yeah, and you don't you don't have a client practice yet, or yet the the the, the, yeah. the the plan is September. Let's okay. see if let's see if I actually hold to the plan. Is the, are you are you trying to work with Mercury and Virgo? It's only in Virgo for like a little bit. <laughs> only for a little bit, so I don't have a lot of time. But I, I I've been. <laughs> dragging myself to do this for so long i might as well just jump in the most ridiculous point (laughs) the the most ridiculous astrology of 2020 (laughs) yeah yeah and actually i think for this year virgo is the ninth in the my solar return so i think that actually fits nice cool nice that's exciting so people i don't know you know if you haven't heard of gabe that probably means that you're not on Twitter um, and that you don't engage in Astro Twitter. But um, Gabe is kind of like a, just like a constant when it comes to Astro Twitter and that whole community. Um, and more than just supplying like all the likes to all the good posts, um, Gabe is, I mean, Sam Reynolds, who was on the pod for the first episode, um, actually mentioned you, Gabe, in that episode, <laughs> but often refers to you as his, um, the, like his secret weapon, um, because you're one of these people in the astrology community who's like in the community doesn't really produce much content related to astrology, um, but like secretly knows so much shit, like sleep, sleeper agent. amount of <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and we'll talk about that in relation to Gabe being super mercurial and just like knowing all the things, but Gabe is like extremely well studied and, um, you wouldn't necessarily know that until you have a conversation, but then you're like, holy shit, how do you, (laughs) how do you know all this? And you're not like sharing it with the world. Like that's the main thing. Um, only on the low, but, um, yeah, thank you for, for introducing yourself. Uh, and you said you're located in Jersey. Is it yep. Jersey City? Uh, I'm north of Jersey City. So okay, that's, cool. that's the closest big locale. Are you from Jersey? Yes, I was born in Jersey City. So I'm okay. Jersey born and raised. Like Springsteen. And stayed. <laughs> <laughs> and stayed. I've been to Bruce, Sting, Bruce, uh, to Bruce Springsteen's Sting. Bruce. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. I've been there. I've been to his house. I met his whole family. Wow. <laughs> and his dogs. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so random, but that's just a random. I like to tell people that because it's like I got to shake his hand and play with his dogs. You got to. Um, you got to touch the boss. 
Yes. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't, I've like never been a spring, I can't say spring sting. Spring I can't, sting. I've never been a Bruce S. fan. <laughs> um, but it's still cool to, to kind of like tell people that because obviously he's a big deal. Um, anyway, Jason, hi. Hi. <laughs> um, tell us, tell us about yourself and your, your SMR and, you know, your astrology practice and all that. Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, sun, moon, rising, uh, Virgo, Gemini, Virgo. Uh, so <laughs> probably all the qualifications I need for this talk there. <laughs> it's ridiculous once I learned to see all that clearly. I was like, this is the most narrowly focused chart <laughs> ever. Anyway, um... Yeah, I let's see. I feel like I've had a in 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 my very mercurial mode had a flirtation with astrology for a long time, but didn't actually get serious um, with my studies until the end of two thousand eighteen. Really, um, I had been exposed to some traditional material, um, which intrigued me just because it just felt like way more systematic than what I'd encountered with modern astrology before that. But, um, there wasn't really anywhere for me to, or I, I guess I didn't really know about Project Hindsight when I stumbled on some of that. Um, so it was just kind of in the background of my awareness for a while. Um, and then I moved to like a really small town in, in central Missouri and, uh, and then went to another small town in northern Virginia and basically just was bored and was like, well, what can I fill my time with? And decided to return to a study of astrology. And by that time, Chris's book had come out. And um, yeah, that's when I started going deep. And that's when I started connecting with uh, astrology Twitter and um, being a little bit more embedded in the community that way. And um, once I went to Norwalk in 2019, it was just kind of all over. Uh, for me, as far as just like, okay, this is going to be where I hang out for a long time. Um, I don't really have much of a practice. I still consider myself sort of um, an advanced beginner at best. I feel like I learn so much from my peers. Um, and I'm starting, a, uh, I just started a more formal study with uh, Achuta Bhavadas uh, through Nightlight Astrology uh, to really kind of plug in some of my holes uh, in terms of my foundations for Hellenistic Astrology, which is, yeah, the mode that I felt the most resonance with. Um, I guess that covers it for my astro history for right now. We'll see where <laughs> other things become relevant. Yeah, you have um, something something that always kind of intrigued me about you is that you have like a background in a lot of different things too. Like outside of astrology, you have a background in Eastern medicine and acupuncture, which you don't do anymore, and herbalism. Um, and we've talked about that, like in New York too, when you've, when you've visited, um, but curious if that, like a lot of that knowledge carries over to like, you know, your studies with astrology. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it does. Um, 
Yeah, Chinese medicine, the when, when you kind of get deep into like the core philosophical foundations of it, which is really just rooted in a broader um, Chinese like naturalistic cosmology. Um, there's a there's a conceptual and symbolic like neatness to how all the pieces sort of fit together. Um, certainly like the the five element or the five phases model um, and all the kind of like concentric circles of correspondences uh, between each one, which you know, a particular element like wood would connect to a particular season, which would be spring, and connects to a particular emotion, which would be anger, and it just kind of like extends out and out and out like that. So like once I started getting really deep into astrology, especially into the traditional material, it was just structured so, so similarly. Um, although kind of the, uh, the fiveness of the five-phase theory does present some different dynamics to the fourness of like classical like four element theory, um, but both ways of thinking require um, a very like sy systemic and kind of like ecological way of thinking about the thing as a whole. Um, and so once you start thinking about one thing, the threads that connect that node to the rest of the system are always sort of like present at the same time. So if I say, you know, this one piece of whether it's astrology or Chinese medicine, like somebody that's steeped in it will have thought of like the four other things that it's like immediately connected to. Um, so there's something about those types of conceptual schemas that I find a really like natural draw towards like it's yeah i don't know how to describe it because it's like very visceral for me it's like it's an it there's an aesthetic appeal to like the tidiness of it um but also like the simplicity of like the basic building blocks and the infinite complexity that emerges from that is just that's just it's just exciting to me in mm. in ways that are sometimes so hard mercurial. to verbalize yes indeed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah, you mentioned Norwalk being kind of like this this moment in time where you really felt super immersed within the community, um, <clears throat> and that's where we met for the first time. I know we were we probably we were acquainted acquaint, acquainted through <laughs> Twitter, um, and Gabe and I had met through the New York City uh, astrologer dinners that I was. I was organizing when I was living in New York. Um, I think the first time we met Gabe was, was it with, through Kelly? Was it when it Kelly was definitely was through Kelly. That was the first dinner I went to was the one with Kelly. Okay. But I could have sworn okay. I met you at, didn't I meet you at UAC for like a hot second or? Nope, I wasn't there. You weren't there. Okay. <laughs> then it couldn't have been UAC. Nope. That's just, that's just the, that's just the whiskey talking from the Chicago <laughs> Hotel. Um, yeah, so yeah. No, so I think it was that. Because yeah, so I remember, like, Kelly, I was organizing that, and Kelly was like, can you also invite Gabe and, like, maybe, like, two or three other people, like Sam? And I was like, yeah, of course. And then, um, yeah, so that must have been the first time we met in person. But I knew, like, I knew you from Twitter, like, yeah. the guy who likes all my tweets. <laughs> I know. And it was like, I knew you from Twitter. I was like, oh, this is the... This is the person who's holding all these dinners that I don't, I, I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to. <laughs> and uh, 
who but then you started like coming huge, to all of them has this huge like you had this like already huge presence on twitter by the time i, I met don't you. think so maybe you like, had, like you had like ten thousand followers i think really? I you must think have had so. a lot maybe you already like <laughs> you were in the magazine you're doing the yeah yeah and so it was like oh wow this person's up and coming <laughs> with a bullet moving and, moving and shaking <laughs> moving and shaking <laughs> Let me get let me get it let me get in some of that dinner, and um, <laughs> and then you brought us to I think the first time was in the city wasn't it? Yeah, that Indian place. It was an Indian place, and that was all right. That, like, oh yeah, no, it was yeah. Pana. It was Pana too. By the way, Pana yeah, too yeah. is like the best Indian place in Manhattan. <laughs> Only because of the decor, because it's it's literally like you go there. They were like shitty in terms of the customer service i was like oh, the customer service suck. is garbage but it still feels authentic <laughs> it feels really authentic it's that place you've probably seen if you ever like i don't know there's a lot of it's like very popular in terms of the decor because it's like you walk in and you're there's you're just surrounded in like all these multiple multiple colored lights and it's very like small in there so you kind of like all crammed together and there's just lights everywhere i know friends who've like gone there tripping shrooms because it's just like very (laughs) very magical looking in there um but yeah we had a really good time that was really fun yeah um and you were at norwalk 2019 too so did you guys meet there yeah i think that was probably the first time i met yeah in person i'm pretty sure i don't think i knew anyone from astrology twitter until i actually went really yeah not in person yeah Uh, yeah Yeah, i met you there i didn't i didn't see you too much because you were norwak was huge and so it it was easy to like get lost and like not see somebody and not see them till like sunday and uh, i was i could always see you gabe yeah well no i i I am smoking i go out for a smoke (laughs) yeah i go out for a smoke and wander back in and i'm like carousing around everybody (laughs) yeah and uh, i think um, when you left I remember when you left, Jason, you gave me whiskey. Oh, I did. I bought bourbon. some. Bourbon. I think it was bourbon. It was I bourbon. I which one. It was I bourbon. What it was, because I don't think we ever got the... Because we, we, I brought it to the last night, because at Norwalk, a bunch of people were hanging out like every night. And so I brought it to the last night, and I don't think we ever got to the beer bourbon. I oh, think gotcha. Oh. I'm not sure who. Yeah, I... I'm, 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 I bought it intending to share, and then like it just yeah. sort of like didn't quite happen the way that I thought it would. So then I had like way too much whiskey at the end. I was like, "Hey, if you're hanging out for a while, right here, share." If anyone's listening, the the key to Gabe's heart, and honestly, I know Jason. I know you enjoy a good bourbon slash whiskey right as well. So <laughs> the key to both of these men's hearts is a really nice brown liquor. <laughs> Um, that's something I've learned through experience knowing you too. Um, okay. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about Mercury. Um, quickly let's run through our Mercury placements. Um, I have Mercury in Sagittarius. It's exactly conjunct my midheaven, like within a couple minutes. And so it's very loud and out there and, um, unavoidable, but it's also in detriment. Um, which is why I wear my Mercury talisman all the time. <laughs> Whenever I'm doing anything explicit, explicitly mercurial to kind of like help me, help me navigate. Cause I can get very 
tongue twisted, tongue tied, as you can see. It doesn't keep me from doing that completely, but it helps, I think. <laughs> um, Gabe, how about you? Where's your Mercury? My Mercury is in Libra, about to conjoin Mars in about 20 minutes of arc. Damn. And um, that coupled with Venus in Virgo. It's like it sort of it, it sort of helps, kinda. I mean, it, it's not the best place for Mercury, but it, at least it's in triplicity. It's an air sign, so it fits. Uh, it's a very Mercury's sweet reception. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it, it it works out sorta, and it's and it, it they also border they almost uh, oppose each other's antitia at the same time, so it's mm. almost like a sorta opposition. If you want to use that tradition. So, Interesting. So it's weird. I kind of think of it as like Mercury and Virgo are next door. Or sorry. Mercury and Venus are next door neighbors and they're like in each other's homes. But like they can't see what the other one's doing. They kind of just have to trust that they will, won't destroy their home. Exactly. And like, if they were like, op- if their if their homes were across the street from each other, that might be a little bit easier because um, they can like peer over, but it's hard when they're like right next to each other. That's kind of how I picture it in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so your Mercury, well, for both of you, Mercury is your chart ruler, it rules your ascendant and your sun. Um, so. Big, like that's, I mean, spoiler alert. That's why I asked these two to talk to me about Mercury, because they're both pretty mercurial and and Mercury ruled. So, um, yeah, I love that. And what what degree is your sun at? Five. Okay, so it's pretty close to my descendant because I have my chart ruler is in Virgo. I have Jupiter in Virgo at 11 but my descendant is around eight degrees it's like seven and 50 some minutes um so yeah pretty close and how about you jason where's your sun and where's your mercury too um all of it's in virgo (laughs) (laughs) i mean degree wise i'm I'm kind of i'm trying to ascertain our sinistry um my son is at 14 virgo and mercury uh is in their own term at one degree um yeah yeah wow so mercury pretty close to regulus Uh uh-huh yep and in its own term that's pretty i mean that doesn't surprise me because again like you're very mercurial and the way that you seem to express that is very like I don't know. It just feels very like it feels pretty regulacy, like very composed and like the way that you are with words just like blows my mind because I cannot. Thanks. <laughs> I'm so jealous of people with um, Mercury and Virgo, which is why I wear a Mercury and Virgo talisman. Um, yeah, it's also yeah. it also has a out of sign conjunction with Mars, which is on the other side in Leo. Oh, at 28 oh Leo. so you both have. You both have that Mars Mercury thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mine's a little, maybe slightly softer and quieter because that's all happening in the twelfth. Um, yeah, that's right. You know. And my Mercury is also has like a super tight aspect with um, uh, sextiles Pluto and trines Neptune within one degree for mm-hmm. both of them. Wow. Wait. So okay. So both of you. 
And you're both um, Gemini moons, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So well, I'm Libra moon. <laughs> oh, you're Libra moon. Yeah. Okay. Gemini rising. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Mercury's plays a really big role in both of your charts because it rules your ascendance. Jason, for you, it rules both of your lights. Um, are you a day chart or a night chart? Day chart. Yeah. Day chart. It's, okay, a, cool. it's morning star. Mercury too. I was going to ask mm-hmm. that. Okay. That's, wow. What a beautiful, <laughs> what a beautiful thing. I cannot relate. Um, <laughs> 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 I'm like a very evening star. Like I'm pretty sure it was visible. Um, it's about like, it's about like 25 degrees off my sun. Um, so it's pretty, it was like very much an evening star Mercury. I'm very much a day chart person and Mercury, it is in its own term though, which I think helps a little bit. Um, and it has a mutual reception with Jupiter and Virgo. So, or, you know, I forget who Sam said, said this, but there's an astrologer who describes it as mutual deception. Oh. It probably so is Samuel. That. <laughs> that sounds like Samuel, right? Well, Sam Sam quoted another astrologer, mm. and I don't remember if it was like Bernadette Brady or Lee Lee. It was some other big name astrologer who's also a woman um, that I forget. I forget who it was. But let's get into it. Let's talk about Mercury and its general significations, um, both like modern and traditional. I mean, the three of us are are primarily traditional astrologers i definitely i was i think we like almost all of us started out as modern you know getting into it through modern but um regardless um talking about mercury so mercury is the fastest moving planet um aside from the moon and it is the closest to the sun and it's referred to as the messenger god um if you're looking at, you know, the correspondences between the Roman Greek gods, um, Hermes or Mercury, <clears throat> excuse me, is, yeah, is referred to as the messenger. And I always looked at that as like, it's zipping around the sun. And if the sun kind of represents he- like Helios, meaning like God or like the center and the source or even like, yeah, the heavens even, um, and Mercury has this ability to translate the messages from divine to, um, to us mere mortals on earth. And that's kind of the imagery that comes to mind when I think of Mercury being the messenger God. Um, yeah. What do you guys think? Like, what are some things that like the first kind of things that come to mind when you think of Mercury and its general significations? Well, one of the things that seem that well that gets overlooked is Mercury's love of contention. I mean, it, Mercury being in a lot of ways the opposite of Jupiter, where Jupiter wants to support and and grow and help develop things, Mercury is more in a in a mount mood to uh, test things. And challenge things not in a marzy way not in a way of testing to the death but more in the testing of like what's this about let's let me shake this around and see what happens and you <laughs> see, yeah and you see that in its significations uh mercury usually gets lawyers 
it gets wrestlers and athletes, it gets generals of armies, uh, people who fight, or, or people who are involved with conflict or challenge, or uh, mm. uh, I think in Greek, they, the word that gets used is uh, agon, which we, we get agony from, but it mm. means more struggle and contest. And that's a sort of thing that sort of gets, sort of gets uh, passed over in the more modern things, where oh, he's a messenger, he's darting around, he he likes to talk a lot, la di da. And those are ancient too: <laughs> communication, speech, writing, uh, speech making, literally like orators, uh, and knowledge. Uh, in one aspect that it shares with Jupiter is that they're both about knowledge and wisdom. They may take on the knowledge and wisdom in different ways, but that doesn't mean that the knowledge and wisdom that Mercury has is not as good as Jupiter's. It's coming at it from a different angle. But, you know, Jupiter's got the big picture thing going on. Mercury wants to know what the details are, what the, what the uh, little contentious bits are. And has that that's has that more uh, zoomed in micro focus. Love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, like I was thinking about that uh, the planetary contrariety between Mercury and Jupiter a lot, like in anticipation of this call. And yeah, I think it really does bring out a lot of some of those um, lesser emphasized significations of Mercury uh, in, in kind of more like popular astrology. Uh, yeah, because it does, it does end up taking on some significations that feel like Marsy, but like, but it's different from Mars because like Mars, like when, when Mars has an argument, <laughs> things like tend to break, you know, and things <laughs> tend to get like split. It's, it's there to break. It's not there yeah. to test. It's there to just destroy. No, 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 no. Yeah, so there's... I mean, that that's the way in which, like, Mercury is... I mean, that's why Mercury is, like, not classified as a malefic even when it has... when it expresses that signification of, like, argumentation because it's, like, there's not malice kind of as, associated with it, really. It's, it, you know, in true, like, Mercury, like, not of either sect way is not you know, uh, it's more of just, like, this, like, childlike, like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen if do-do-do, like, and that's sort of, that plays into that trickster archetype, so it's, like, it's not, like, I'm trying to, like, hurt anybody's feelings, it's just, like, I just want to know what happens, you know, and so there's, like, this, um, I think in that expression, like, Mercury's archetype has, um, seems to express a, a big, like, love of, like, experience, of like sort of in this world kind of way i mean of course mercury in a different configuration also could seek for transcendence too but i feel like um uh yeah the nature of its like contention and testing is because it it sort of like wants to see what the world and experience is all about um which I mean, I know we'll get to this later in our in our outline, but those are definitely things I think a lot about with Mercury and Gemini and in Sagittarius. Um. Totally. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there is this... 
when I think of Mercury, I think of like its its relationship with the sun and how the sun is emitting and you know the sun has this correlation with intelligence and um like our spirit and even like our soul and mercury does the job of like translating that and like putting words to it and um like labeling and naming those things and it's really about yeah how it like how it's emitting or not it's the sun is emitting mercury is like how it's the translating aspect of it and like right it gives it yeah. articulation because the light of the sun is uh the light of the sun is a unitary force like it it that light um makes possible distinction you know, by casting light upon things that you can distinguish one thing from another thing and kind of also in that way that it casts shadow, but the the light emanating from the sun itself is kind of like a oneness kind of quality to it. So it requires sort of a refractory function in order to kind of like make the light of the sun sort of intelligible and that's sort of how I think about what Mercury is doing. It's just really interesting kind of like, you know, thinking about that visible astronomy of like Mercury never being able to get that far away from the sun. So that's like, it is the close relationship, but it's also the way in which um, there's always a little bit of a built-in difficulty as far as like, you got to be sort of far enough away from the sun to do that articulating well, but like, but stay close in order to still be like connected to it. So that closeness is also going to make that expression of, of distinction more challenged potentially. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, that, that was another piece I think I was considering a lot is that proximity to the sun and Mercury's sort of like, it's accustomed to sort of being accustomed to, to immolating on, on, on the regular. Um, you know, it's, I mean, the amount of time that it's actually visible in the sky at any given points is, uh, is much, much less common than with other, the other planets. So there's this interesting like flirtation with visibility. That's part of Mercury as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of that, can we kind of speak on Mercury's uh, cycle and the way that it it retrogrades more than any other planet, and then therefore it has these um, these Cassinis, these exact conjunctions with the Sun, um, about three times a year, whereas all the other planets only get it once a year. Um, I mean, not even every planet gets it once a year. Is it? Does Mars? Would Mars get it, I guess? Yeah, I yeah, think... I don't know. I, everyone's going to get it at least once, because they can't move fast right. enough to get away from the sun. Right, right. Um, it only matters if... I think it... It's I, like the retrograde. Yeah. Kazemi doesn't happen every year. No, not not every calendar year. I mean, as, as part of the right. cycle, it's part of, you know, it's the... It's basically the start of the cycle. 
Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, yeah, Mercury gets it more than anyone. Yeah, because <laughs> it can only go so far. It can only go at a maximum about twenty eight degrees away, and usually it doesn't even get that far. It's usually about twenty five degrees when it starts to slow down in in its motion. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, also we're discounting the the moon, which does it every month, but that's mm-hmm, the diff- that's yeah. that's that's <laughs> different thing uh, altogether. Yeah, so that's part of, as Jason pointed out, it's part of the issue with Mercury is is trying to get out of that, trying to get out of the spotlight, into its own. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want you want the light to shine on you, not to be you don't want the light to like disappear you. So right. Mercury does have that problem, but it's. Because it's the only planet that has that problem, it's it's a, it's a different relation than say if if it was some other planet that got, gets uh, uh, put under the beams. They're they're mm-hmm. used to not having having that condition uh, very much and for very long. They usually have it like what maybe two weeks. Uh, well, it depends depending how we do it. Like if we do it with the fifteen degrees, maybe about a month max uh, for like the outer planets or whatever. But uh, Mercury is in that, in that field most of the time. Mm-hmm. So you sort of get used to, I mean, I, I, I think of Mercury as, as, as more acclimated to being in that mm-hmm. situation. And, mm-hmm. and part of Mercury's thing is adaptability, yeah. mm-hmm. changeability, and being whatever it needs to be at the moment of time calls for. Yeah. Yeah, I, which kind of makes me think about the fact that it is invisible so so much of the time and how mercurial people like that. Well, at least that kind of goes along with like the, the like almost sneakiness of Mercury where it's like there, but you might not be able to see it all the time. Um, it's kind of like operating in the shadows sometimes. Um, and then it has shows this, up like, and then it very... leaves when you turn your yeah, eyes. Yeah, it head. shows up. <laughs> exactly. Um, you ain't gonna miss them cows. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's so hard. Even when Mercury is visible, it is so hard to see. Like, I remember, I think I've only seen it maybe twice. And it, the one time was during the Great American Eclipse <laughs> in um, August 2017. Mercury was really close to the sun and moon during that eclipse. And I remember being like, is that Mercury? I think that's Mercury. And then like, you know, only really fully appearing for like a, a second or so. Um, and then, yeah, I think another time when, I don't know, I think I saw it one time at sunrise, but like, it's so hard to see because it is this tiny little glimmer of light and, um, that really, to me, speaks to the nature of Mercury being like, did you see it? Like, now you see it, now you don't. Sort of like that, truly like that magician mm-hmm. um, archetype. Totally. Yeah, and the back and forth movement in my mind also kind of like conjures an image of like um, like a sewing machine or, or that thing, I forget what it's called, in a big loom, I think like the, the sh- something shuttle that like goes back and forth mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. it's just yeah. constantly just like and like yeah. kind of doing that across the zodiac with the sun um which yeah again totally plays into that like connecting element of its of its signification um mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I feel like I've been thinking, I've thought, like, going into, uh, you know, when, when COVID sort of hit, arrived in the U.S., and uh, my city went into shelter in place, and we were all kind of, like, in this, like, you know, 12th house mode, um, I was thinking a lot about, like, Mercury and sort of you know, my own trajectory uh, in terms of, like, profession or maybe even just, like, what work I'm doing in the world on a, on a smaller scale. And I think something that I, I really was, like, wrestling with, uh, really kind of, like, rolling around in my own mind is, you know, because I was raised kind of in this, like, American culture, like, I feel like there's this huge, like, solar emphasis right it's like we're all like supposed to be like sovereigns in our own right and like shining out brightly in the world um which i think when you take that in a certain way is probably a really healthy thing but in our particular cultural context that's there's plenty of not so healthy ways for that to to show up and um i i guess i was considering how with mercury being so prominent in my chart and how like it spends so much time invisible is like what what would sort of accepting and taking seriously that piece of it like look like and i think that does tie into some of the other correlations that mercury has to sort of like people in this more assistant role or this more like ministerial role it's like it's adjacent to the to the monarch um and you know literally just kind of orbiting the the king uh, or queen or whatever sovereign and sort of attending to kind of from the wings um yeah and i the the meditations and prayers i did around that um seemed to have lined up well with like me ending up with the, the new job that i have now which is like as an administrative assistant um uh with an organization that like works with kind of like ancestral healing um which is also really funny for me like thinking about that aspect that my mercury makes to to pluto um the lord of the underworld so it's like you know there's there's also this like psychopomp element that's like being brought into play with that too because it's like it is invisible a lot of times but it's invisible to the above world and it just sort of like switches its visibility over into the underworld um so i feel like all of that is really like sort of the uh the less spoken about elements of of mercury's nature totally i love that where's your jupiter i have to ask i forget <laughs> uh mine is in aquarius okay oh cool jupiter return coming yeah up. quite um, a return <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I love that you brought that up, though, about how, like, it's constantly moving from the, you know, the above world to the to the underworld. And, like, as Jason Holly would say, like, day consciousness and night consciousness. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, all the planets go through that. But the fact that Mercury does it so often, and then, you know, has this regular purification by like you know being in the heart of the sun every you know season basically every three 
three months or so. Um, and yeah, like what that means to, to be, or I guess, yeah, for this planet to be, um, part, like part of its, part of its like thing is the fact that it's like constantly meeting up with the sun and almost like, yeah, there's like this purification ritual that happens with the Mercury Kazemi. Um, and for us, I mean, depending on if it's inferior or is it, would it, would that happen? Yeah. It's, it goes between inferior and what's the opposite of that? <laughs> Exterior? Superior. Superior. <laughs> this is why I need my mercurials around. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, it kind of goes between these, but it has this moment of like, it's almost like, you know, every couple months Mercury gets to like go into the the palace and meet with the king or queen or whoever and then receive it's almost like being able to like sit on their lap and receive like the divine word or something. Um and yeah, it's it's cool because it yeah, there there's something to that I feel like. Um that mercurial people have this sort of connection to intellect through that, like, continuous, you know, purification from the sun, whereas, like, the other planets all have that too, but it's, it's less, um, it's less frequent, and therefore not as much of, like, a, like, a central part of their, their significations. For, yeah, for the other planets it's just sort of part of this like built-in like phasic like life cycle element to it but yeah like that dying and being reborn thing is just sort of normal for mercury <laughs> well mercury's yeah, a cycle a little bit mm-hmm. so, <laughs> yeah it's One like oh things... we're gonna die now cool it's like yeah. oh we're going oh, back. oh we gotta go back we're going to hades and back Word. and we're sad <laughs> yeah. you know it's like you need you need you need, you, you need anything while I'm at the store. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm making a pizza run. <laughs> I gotta drop off these cows I stole, and then I'm, I'll be back. <laughs> if I don't get distracted. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the adaptability nature to Mercury. I mean. It is this like by well, it rolls over to the bicorporeal signs and has this like double bodied nature to it, being um, a planet that rolls over two mutable signs. Um, and you know, especially like uh, like in recent times, people have been referring to Mercury as queer or as, you know, when, when people are gendering planets, they'll refer to Mercury with they, them pro- pronouns, which I tend to do as well. Um, because, well, I guess to start out, there is this, um, this thing having to do with set and that's S-E-C-T and um, how Mercury doesn't necessarily belong to one sect or the other um, it's, whereas, you know, that's the sex, that's, oh God, the sects, um, <laughs> are, are pretty like, there are two different teams and those teams are like set, you know, there's the day sect, which is 
the sun, Jupiter, Saturn, um, and that's that's the day team. And then you have the night team, which is um, the moon and Venus and Mars. And that's just that period. Like that's those are their teams. Um, and then you have Mercury, which can go either way, and it can go either way. Um, and it basically depends on if it's a morning star or an evening star. If it's rising before the sun, then it is part of the day sect. And if it's rising or setting after the sun, then it's part of the night sect. Um, yeah. What do you get? What are your thoughts around Mercury being um, this very mutable, adaptable, changeable figure, but also? Um, maybe speaking on how it kind of is genderless in that way as well. You want to do? You want to start, Jason, or do you want to? You want oh. me to jump in? <laughs> you you can jump in. I, all, I right, all right, I'll, ju- I'll, I'll jump in. Go. I love the Mercury Mars. Like, you're just like ready. ready. I love it I so mean, much. Part of, uh, I mean, this is like a, this is a huge digression when we go to talk about the gender gender of the planets. Or, mm-hmm. or I I personally I don't like I don't like the idea of the planets having a gender because they're not hu- I mean they're not human personages they're personages but not human personages and so I they can they like certain genders I I, t- I tend to look at it uh, that way that they they have a preference but they're not they are not uh, pinned down. Or, or limited because they are the source of limiting then they, they are not limited in themselves and with mercury mercury just like it's not so much the mercury that has no gender is that mercury has no preference at all so i can do whatever it wants gender wise or not depending on whatever mood takes mercury's mind so in that sense, uh, along with all the other changeability, as 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 you brought up, you know, maybe I'm maybe in this chart it favors the, the diurnal sect. Maybe in this chart it's the nocturnal sect. Maybe in this chart it favors the malefics. Maybe in this chart it favors the benefics. There is this whole uh, there are like bits and pieces in the tradition of you know when Mercury may or may not prefer one thing or another based on its aspects, based on its solar phase. You know, like if it's a rising sign, maybe it's more of a, like a, it's it's like subbing in as a diurnal planet in that chart. Or, if, you know, if it's, lunar, it's a, you know, if it's, a, it's a setting phase, it's subbing in as a nocturnal planet. If it's aspects of benefics, it's benefic. Or it's going to be favorable to benefics. And likewise with malefics, if it's aspect of malefics. Then you got to figure out, like, which is the most close aspect or whatever. And changeable in its nature, changeable as the days go by and in, in people's lives it becomes a matter of, okay, how does this congeal for that moment, for that moment where this person shows up uh, what mood was Mercury in that day to do to do what he wants and obviously for some people he was in a very uh, gender fluid mood and uh, for others not, a, not quite the factor and uh Clearly, the the hounds of, of Hermes are are, are 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 making their thoughts known. But is that for me or you? It's probably for me. Yeah, it sounds on your end. 
Okay, yeah, there's there's a dog, a little tiny yappy. Yeah, that's I, what I thought. If, if <laughs> Mercury had hounds, it, they would be very small dogs. <laughs> They'd be yappy. Yes. He's really cute. He's like a miniature snout. They have to be travel dog. friendly. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect Hopefully Mercury dogs. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. Jason, do you have any thoughts around that? Uh, yeah. I guess... The quality of this, like, changeability, this, like, lacking of preference uh, in a certain way just kind of, like, brings my mind to the, the association of Mercury to the youth and youthfulness and children. Um, and thinking about, like, sort of developmentally, like, kind of, like, ha- the way that children are uh, when they're young. You know, they are these super impressionable beings that have not um, cohered a sense of like self or gravity and are still kind of in this very like learning and collecting mode. Um, So there's not really, there's not as much judgment, you know, as whatever is happening becomes like the norm for a child. Uh, And I think that captures really well sort of like where mercury's like flexibility and changeability comes from because it is it is connected to sort of this like uh it resonates with this sort of earlier part of the life cycle where we're just really super like open and like our like brains are still developing and like we have maximum neuroplasticity so it's like oh we can just sort of like change the wiring whenever however we need to depending on what is happening and I think this also probably relates back to, you know, its its orbit and proximity to the sun. You know, we can also think if the sun is like the father or just, you know, the, a strong like central parent figure, then we also see this little child kind of running back and forth around, uh, around their parent. Um, and the, it, it's almost like that proximity preserves the youthfulness the youthful quality of mercury it's like if mercury was capable of getting any further away from the from the sun um mercury would be able to individuate more completely into like their own being but they never do so like they retain that childlike quality um as a as a permanent feature um i think it's also really interesting for me to think about the that quality of change and impressionability with the moon as the two sort of fastest moving planets um but i think where they diverge is like the you know certainly in kind of it seems like more um you know medieval traditions where the the like temperament of the planets is sort of brought into play a little bit more centrally. The moon is sort of seen as this watery um, planet, and moist. Yeah, exactly. Moist. <laughs> I just wanted to say that word. <laughs> moist. And disturb anyone. <laughs> moist. moist. <laughs> Wait a. Uh, now you have to give a trigger warning at the beginning of this. Jeez. I know, right? Um, uh, yeah. So like that kind of pointing to water as a medium that retains things and in the same way the moon is a thing that like 
not only distributes the influences of the planets, but also like collects them, like takes them into herself and like it sort of becomes like part of her body for a time and so that also that connection to memory but like if mercury is said to have any intrinsic kind of like temperament or elemental uh quality i've always seen it as like slightly dry so like the kind of opposed to the moistness the wetness of of the moon so it's almost like mercury like doesn't really remember what it takes on like it just like takes it on for that moment and then it's like gone mm. like the next whereas like there's more of a momentum to like what the what the moon is carrying um mm-hmm. so it's change is much even though the moon moves faster i kind of think of like mercury's like changing quality as being swifter or or even less permanent than the moon is more fickle mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing that comes to mind when we're talking about the Mercury and its changeability is the fact that it can only be visible during sunrise or sunset and um, how it has its joy in the first house, partly for that reason, like it's a place where it can actually be seen um, at sunrise. And yeah, I guess I just wanted to note that, that like part of it is the fact that like Mercury is only visible during these these moments of change like these these periods of time during the day where you know the light is changing the like literally everything about you know what what's visible um is changing during those brief moments and how yeah mercury only comes out to like say hi during those very changeable um, moments in the day and that's again only every only every now and then so too. this this is like I have never put this quite so explicitly together in my mind until just this moment but like I uh, you know besides just kind of being shy and kind of in my shell through like you know all the way up through high school when I was starting to come out of that in high school I I did that through uh, theater, but not not as an actor, as part of stage crew. <laughs> so, like, literally, I would appear <laughs> in between <laughs> scenes. <laughs> wow! <laughs> in in the dark, <laughs> or in half yeah. in the half light of uh, of the main lights, kind of turned down to their minimum. Yeah, that's hilarious. That. Actually, now that I'm <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That is so mercurial. Um, okay, let's start talking about, you know, the differences between Mercury and domicile versus exalted and, and detriment and fall. Um, I guess it's safe. To, I mean, I kind of, when I was learning, I always thought like, okay, Mercury just has two signs. It's in, it's in, um, it has a domicile in both Virgo and Gemini. But then I kind of learned that, like, it's also, like, it doesn't have another sign that it's exalted in. And no, people, Mercury is not exalted in Aquarius. <laughs> I don't know where you heard it, but that's not that's not a thing. Um, <laughs> it does have some dignity there, but it's definitely not exalted there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's safe to say that. And what are, where do you guys, how, what do you know about that? Because that's something that has always kind of confused me like it has it's it's at home it has like 
domicile in both signs, Gemini and Virgo, but it's also exalted in Virgo, and I'm not really sure how that works. Well, it's weird because it's the only planet that has that. Everybody mm-hmm. else's uh, exaltation is in some other sign, not one of its domiciles. And usually a sign that has like a, it's not really obvious why necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Jupiter's exaltation is, you know, in, uh, it's uh, Cancer and uh, Saturn's exaltation is in Libra and like, you know, stuff like that. It's like it, mm-hmm. Mercury gets his exaltation and his domicile in Virgo. Uh, one thing that's interesting is that if you look at the Thema Mundi, which is, you know, if, you, if you're into traditional astrology, you, this thing will end up coming up and it's like this uh, sort of archetype. It's like a different archetype as opposed to the uh, Aries rising, you know, you know, astrological alphabet type archetype. Uh, but it's an archetype from way, way back in the day. And that would give Virgo to the third sign, the third topic, third house. Uh, which happens to be the joy of the moon. Joy is like some obscure um, uh, dignity that the planets have. And Here's the theme of Mundi I just pulled up. Yeah. And so having that is kind of interesting that that would also, you know, the other thing being that the exaltation is something of a lunar uh, distribution or... or, or uh, grant as like as mm-hmm. the domicile rulerships are sort of a, come from the sun the, the exaltations come from the moon in a way and mm-hmm. that sort of relates to I think I would say more of a lunar uh, aspect to that dignity uh, where maybe an aspect in terms of uh, influencing the body of the person or the sort of the, the the soul, but the soul in the sense of the of the sort of dynamic emotional self that a person has, mm-hmm. uh, and in some ways, because the moon rules fortune, it could also be associated with fortune. It could be associated with the the kind of uh, sort of outside events that occur to a person, or, or that you know, circumstances that the person finds themselves in, um, mm-hmm. and that would affect that would affect Mercury in that way. That Mercury sort of finds himself in situations where he gets to run stuff. <laughs> where he gets to where he gets mm-hmm. to run the show and not have to like answer to anybody. So mm-hmm. that suits Mercury just fine. And also one of the things that Mercury uh one of the many uh significations that Mercury gets associated with in antiquity is the mysteries. And uh esoteric knowledge, philosophical knowledge, but also Effectively, what's magical or mystical stuff, um, things that we usually the magician, yeah, the magician, uh, but also you know, uh, uh, yeah, like a, the mystic. So things that modern day we would probably put on Neptune, mm-hmm. and in antiquity, these things are are clearly associated with Mercury. So this is another way this 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 uh, exaltation in the third, uh, in in its own sign, sort of keys in because that's that. That whole that whole uh, cadent access there is the moon being in his mm-hmm. joint third and the sun being in his joint the ninth, and that sort of dynamic of these, the 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 lights of the heavens 
uh, Mercury is sort of involved with in, in an non-obvious way in, in, in between the worlds. Another aspect of Caden houses in antiquity is uh, that they are uh, metacosmios, which is they're, they're in between the world or like they're, they're outside the world, but they're also sort of like in between the world. They're, they're this liminal place. They're like in the, every, the gaps in everything and around everything. And that also suits Mercury just fine, because Mercury is all about uh, being everywhere and anywhere, whenever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's, I don't know, I think I was contemplating that at one point, too, and I was like, well, like, what case could be made in some other sign? And it really just doesn't work anywhere else. It's sort of, like, left over. It's like like almost by process of elimination once you distribute the exaltations uh for the other uh for the other planets it's just like there's no other spot that it kind of makes sense especially if it, you need to adhere to it needing to make an aspect um so that's definitely one of the reasons the aquarius thing doesn't work <laughs> by traditional logic yeah. um but yeah so i don't know like i mean i think gabe gave a great answer because i don't think i've uh, steeped enough in the in the liter the historical literature to have a better answer to that, but I think there's an image that I always sort of come back to with with Mercury and Virgo that starts to point me in some interesting like directions of thought with this, which is that in Gemini. Um, Gemini basically offers no check to Virgo's excesses, <laughs> um, uh, you know, to kind of more borrow from the um, from from Chinese philosophy. If the nature of Mercury would have to be associated with an element, it would definitely go with the wood element uh, or with the wood phase, which is uh, associated with wind. Um, yeah. As, as a force in nature, but also as a uh, as a process in in the in the body in the phenomenal body, um, and it is also associated with like roots and um, and shoots, especially like new new roots and shoots. Uh, so also kind of connecting to youth, which is you know, and wood is also connected to spring. So it all kind of like syncs up together. So it's this like twisting, winding, bending, kind of adapting to, and doesn't really, like it kind of has a direction, but it's not going to go there in a straight line. Um, Mm -hmm. And in the air, which is the actual wind itself, like Mercury is just as windy as it can be. Um, So it's, you know, it's the little, the little seeds of dandelion floating in the air. Um, It's kind of the movement of like hummingbirds and you know honeybees and other pollinators it's just like this thing that's like flitting this way and that way but if you take that wood energy that kind of like erratic kind of not straight kind of like bouncing sideways and back and forth into the earth of virgo like it becomes like the beginnings of like the root system like it like the earth kind of provides a buffer um like i don't know I guess this sort of makes me think of like the way that some people rationalize um, 
the sect that each malefic belongs to as kind of having a tempering or countering effect on mm -hmm. on the malefic and therefore it it is better it it functions better there um so i i almost kind of think of mercury in an earth sign and particularly in a mutable earth sign being the most kind of like the most functional place for it because like when i think of mutable earth i think of like soft dirt of like soil that's mm. like fresh sand. clay yeah well maybe not yeah. maybe not sand because like there's no nutrient to draw from sand like it can move mm. through sand um but it's sort of it, it make it glass that also true also true <laughs> but i feel like it exacerbates the dryness quality that some mm -hmm. associate with mercury too so you have the stability of earth with sort of like that the wetness of like dark soil, which is what I would sort of associate when I was what I think of when I think about mutable earth. Um, mm -hmm. And it just gives a place that Mercury can like do more or, and, and do more over like a longer arc of time versus like what it, what happens in Gemini is extremely like transient and brief. Um, mm -hmm. And if not a root system, then the other image that I like think a lot about is like, um, fungi in the mycelial network and just sort of like yes. you know when i see that like time lapse of, of those little like white threads like branching through like dark soil i'm like boom like that's that's totally mercury in virgo um yeah and i think that specific metaphor too really works too because it, it brings into this idea of um the way that fungi like digest things like it breaks down and decomposes which is sort of like related to the analytical function of mercury mm -hmm. um so it like it takes like it can is ca capable of digesting like raw material and breaking them down into their constituent parts but not just for the sake of breaking down like it's for the sake of breaking down in order to render it reabsorbable by other forms of life which kind of like you know in, in modern astrology, there's that connection between uh, Virgo and service. And like, that's the nature of service that I kind of most strongly associate it with, because it's also an invisible kind of surface. Like you don't see the mycelium doing its work. It's like happening out of sight in the dirt, in the dark. Um, and yeah, I don't know. So it, it made, there's lots of different ways in which Virgo in Mercury just makes sense, like in terms of its strength in domicile and in exaltation. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, I kind of think of the difference between Gemini and Virgo as like Gemini is about just the raw, like the data, like give me the data, <laughs> give me the information, and how Gemini just like seeks to kind of like putting out feelers like it wants to kind of like touch all the things to gather information about it and um yeah to make connections between different things I think that's a really big thing when it comes to, to Gemini is like the connections piece whereas Virgo is a lot more discerning and it wants to take all that information and categorize it and throw out what's not useful and then take everything that is useful and make it um, kind of like system systematize it and um, yeah make it basically like useful is like the number one word I think of with Virgo and making it you know figuring out how to like 
like you said with the um with the fungi like you like it it takes it and makes it useful for other organisms um and that's very much how i see how i see virgo acting like it's like sure give me all this information not all of this is is going to be useful for everything so let's figure out how to like put it into the right categories and systematize it so that you know it can be digestible um which you know it can that you can do that with with information and facts and data um it's also why like analyzing and analytics are it's such like a mercurial virgo thing because it's about you know it's not just about the data which is a lot more um gemini with with um analytics it's like what are we using this data for um yeah any other thoughts about i mean i guess like to to kind of like put it more into like what is what is Mercury in Gemini like? Because I see, I get a lot of clients with, a lot of Gemini clients and a lot of them with Mercury in Gemini, especially pretty close to their sun, um, which I definitely see um, Mercury under the beams in Gemini acting way more, like way more um, functional, I guess, than any other planet under the beams, even if they are in their own chariot. Um, Mercury just seems to, like, especially in Gemini, like, it doesn't, it doesn't really, like, hinder it as much. Um, but I see that a lot, and a lot of them are writers. A lot of them are people who just, like, are really, like, have always just been, you know, people who really can absorb information and, um, and like I said, make connections between, a lot of different things and kind of can hold a lot at once. Um, yeah, a lot of writers. Um, yeah, I think. And then I guess with, sorry, go ahead. Oh, the, the other thing that sort of jumps into my mind as you're talking and kind of, I think this is connected to writing in a certain way is I feel like the difference in both Gemini and in Virgo, like Mercury is, um, they're both doing connecting work, right? And they're both um, spreading things out. Um, but there's a way in which, like, Gemini has... I mean, yeah, again, totally, like, appropriate to its air uh, element quality. There's less of a sort of, like, sustained involvement attachment in a certain way. Like, it's almost like what happens in a Gemini mode is like the thing has been like carried from point A to point B and like that is where it will be left and I kind of think of writing in a similar way it's like you 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 know you go through this process and like you're generating this product but then it's like out in the world it's like out of your hands like you know it's like it's not you know, it might have your name on it, but it sort of, like, doesn't really belong to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like a more Virgo mode is, like, there's a more sustained, like, like regular tending to in order to maintain that connection. Whereas, like, that pollination mode of Gemini is, like, okay, like, has the thing been distributed to where it needs to go? Like, okay, we're done. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll, we'll move on to the next thing. Um, so there's, like, there's there's a different there's a difference in intimacy it almost feels like between 
uh, Mercury's two domiciles. Mm-hmm. One thing with like Mercury, I'm just trying, trying to think of my friends with like Mercury in Virgo um, versus Mercury in Gemini. Um, I definitely see with Mercury in Virgo, there's this like elo- eloquence with it almost. I think maybe that comes with like the precise nature of, of Virgo. Um, like Mercury and Virgo people just have the best words. Like, I don't know where you guys get it from, but you can come up with these, like, just like these perfect words. And I think that Mercury and Gemini is also really good at coming up with words, but, um, I see it more as just like always having a, like always being able to add something, always being able to like you know, continue the conversation. And with Mercury and Virgo, it's a lot more, um, it's a lot more careful, a lot more precise, you know, it's a little slower. And I I mean, I just recorded with um, Drew and Scarlett yesterday and Scarlett has Mercury and Virgo, I think on Regulus too. Um, Yeah. And so, I mean, she just comes up with like the best words and so do you. And it's like, my Mercury and Sagittarius is like, oh, if only that. <laughs> I feel like I have the most basic vocabulary, and that's just something I had to accept <laughs> accept about myself. I actually like, read the thesaurus for fun when I was a teenager. I mean, so did I. So did I when I was in school. This is something else. Oh my god, Virgos. <laughs> I mean, I would have done that. Like, I can. Do, I love the thesaurus, but my brain cannot retain any of it. Like that's, maybe we can kind of switch and talk about Mercury and Sag. Um, because yeah, for me, it's like, I see Mercury and Sag as really, I guess like (laughs) the way I think of it is like, I, I guess I think of things in like images and I kind of think of Mercury and Sag as like, this little Mercury in the middle of like the wild, wild west or something and seeing that there's so much to take in and like really, really wanting to take everything in, but like, it's like an impossible job. Um, it's just too much for one little Mercury to carry. (laughs) And, um, I really see like my Mercury and Sag is, I have a really, like I'm very mercurial and that's, like very I think evident to everyone because it's so loud it's so angular and everyone sees it it's on my midheaven um but I don't think people see how difficult it is for me to mercury (laughs) like um even right now like I'm like out of breath just trying to talk and like um you know writing for me I do it. I've done it a lot. I wrote a, I wrote a fucking book somehow. And I literally am like, somehow, I don't know how I did that. <laughs> but it's it takes like 10 times the amount of effort for me to just do um, very simple mercurial tasks like, um, like speaking and, you know, writing, but also, I don't know, just like, I, f- I feel like I have to I very much like overdo the Mercury and the Jupiter because they're both in detriment um, and both angular. And I tend to be someone that like 
I'm very, very organized and people see that about me. Like, whoa, like if you look at my calendar, oh, I have all the cut, like everything's color coordinated and, you know, I have all these different colored pens and different notebooks for things. I knew that and somehow. Honestly. I knew that about yeah. you. So I never saw it, but I'm like, oh, this is, Kira is this kind of person. I'm very much like that. Yeah. And it's because it's like, I literally have to, or else I would not be able to function. I like would not be able to function in the world, like, you know, um, in the professional world or whatever, if I wasn't hyper organized the way I am, because it's like my Jupiter and Virgo has to set up these systems so that my Mercury can like do Mercury. Um, yeah, like I think I just cannot retain information. So it has to be, or like, I have to put it in the right place when it comes to me or else it's going to get lost. And I'll maybe think of it like before I go to bed or something, but um, yeah, my Mercury and Sag needs the structure that my Jupiter and Virgo provides. And they work together in that way, which is cool. Um, but I can't just like, I'm not someone that, you know, you can tell, okay, like you get to the 7-Eleven by going left here, turn right on Elm, then turn left again. I need to write it down and I need to look at a map. <laughs> my Mercury just cannot hold all of it. Um how do you guys see Mercury and Sag? Well, I mean, you, one, I mean, you're a bit of a special case because you sort of have this mutual reception thing with, with Jupiter and, yeah. and Mercury. So, but, I mean, everybody who's listening, go back and listen to what Kira said, how her Mercury doesn't work well and or, or she just trouble handling information while she runs a podcast and put out a magazine <laughs> and is, is this weekend is, is, is hosting a... Uh, a seminar, like, you know, 12 speaker series and will is probably concocting some other things, probably writing another book, you know, in the middle, in the, <laughs> this podcast, in the middle of this podcast yeah. while we're talking, she's like jotting that she's like in chapter 12. <laughs> so whatever fucking book she's writing now. So it's like, yeah, what a terrible, what, you're, you're doing horribly. <laughs> but I don't think I'm doing horribly. It's just really hard to do it. <laughs> but you do it. Yeah. I mean, so much. So <laughs> I'm doing that's Mercury and Sad, just like literally doing. The yeah, most. it's it's the it's it's in a place where it it it's not comfortable in, uh, hosted by somebody who likes all the other thing, all the opposite things Mercury likes. So it's like it's like the analogy for detriment is essentially you're at your friend's house, or maybe they're not a friend friend, but or, or maybe they're like your your family member where you don't get along with or. You know they're they're vegan. You like steak. They they like you know they're listening to opera. You want your heavy metal or whatever, whatever weird diametric opposite uh, that you can conceive of. That's sort of that relationship, and that's the, that's the issue is that you're you're somewhere where you don't want to be really, and you not you don't really enjoy this, but you're gonna make do because you're stuck here, and. Mm-hmm. Not even doing. stuck, like compelled to, you know. Yeah, like, that's the angularity. It's just like, well, I'm not not gonna do that. Like that's no. not literally. No, not no I'm definitely gonna do. It. Well, that's you know, <laughs> you know with the cure is like, it's we're definitely going. We're definitely gonna <laughs> make something out of this, and mm-hmm. that's the thing. Mercury has to work with all the big picture, big deal, uh, big project, uh, support the community, support everything, uh, wide ranging mm-hmm. effects that. Jupiter is into, and so Mercury's got to like, okay, well, that's what I got to do then, and that you know, ju- moving giant 
things around and try and trying to be supportive when you the reality is i don't want to support anything i want to like i want to mess around with stuff but i i gotta do this i gotta i gotta do that and so it creates that sort of frenetic anxious uh behavior in wherever it's doing so that's why you know you're like oh i'm out of breath because you just don't stop moving yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Fire, fire has an even more kinetic quality than yeah. than air does, right? So, yeah, like, definitely. there's like a lot of freaking energy, uh, you know, and like t- plugging that into a planet whose nature yeah. is to not stop <laughs> moving. <Yeah. laughs> uh, that would be a lot to a lot to deal with. Um, I mean, in a way, it's sort of, you know, like, yeah. I mean, that's that sort of like. Uh, an excess quality that the fire quality, the element of Sagittarius is lending to Mercury, but it is in Jupiter, in Jupiter's sign. And I think Jupiter, I mean, this is, this is why they're paired up is like, I think that's how Jupiter helps to balance Mercury is it's like, it's like one thing, (laughs) one thing, (laughs) you know, and it sort of like provides some grounding and stability. Uh, So if there is like a clear vision, which I think is both a fire and a Jupiter thing, um, that can be really like anchoring for Mercury in a certain kind of way. Um, uh, And I think the other thing that I really just like love if I think about fire signs in general is like, fire fire energy is like so good at hyping (laughs) right (laughs) so like to put mercury uh there and like maybe in sagittarius most of all is like you know you want you want to get a message out to as far as it possibly can to as many people as you possibly can like i think sagittarius is like a really good place uh for mercury to to do that um yeah, and I, I, I also have to wonder because, like, you know, again, thinking about the planetary contrariety between Mercury and Jupiter, because my Mercury, or sorry, my Jupiter is, you know, in Saturn sign in the sixth. Um, I feel like I really like lack uh, some of the counterbalancing effect that that Jupiter has. So I, I totally can lose the big picture. Um, in a way that's like very easy, and so I'm like totally lost in the present minutia, which is something that I think makes it really hard to focus Mercury's energy and Mercury's efforts into something that's like a long-term goal. Like Mercury is much more uh, preoccupied with like what is immediately happening, um, which is, you know, great in its own way. But if you are trying to accomplish something that requires like a five, ten year plan, like that's not gonna, that's not gonna work, uh, especially if it's <laughs> mostly Gemini Mercury energy. <laughs> like that's gonna be really hard to like funnel in a direction. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I feel like yes, you know, because they're. Jupiter and Mercury have opposite signs like there is this sense of discomfort of exile of maybe like not functioning exactly in the way that it would most prefer but there is some um, there's definitely some moderating balancing effects going on too by being in the opposite sign uh, that I think can work like uh, really really well um, 
Oh, I feel like I had something else. Oh, come back to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really see, especially with like clients, um, Jupiter, or sorry, Mercury and Sag. Um, oftentimes it's like people are like, like the way that they communicate is very blunt and to the point, which is like a very Sag thing. Um, because it's all about conveying truth. It's like, I just want to tell you the truth. And, you know, that's something for me. I'm like, I cannot lie. Like I'm really bad at lying. Um, and maybe it's because I was raised by a Sagittarius mother and she was like, don't lie to me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I have the same problem. But, um, yeah, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, there's this element of like, you know, the delivery of Mercury and Sag being very, um, yeah, direct and to the point. And it's like, you know, I mean, that's like a fire sign thing, too. Yeah. It's um, a sincerity. I feel like yeah. it's more, there's like a trustworthiness. Like, I mean, that's the mm-hmm. negative, that's a negative signification of Mercury, right? Like, a, is lying. <laughs> so that makes yeah, perfect yeah. sense why, <laughs> so you know, in Jupiter's sign, it's just like, nope, not not very good at that. <laughs> right, right. Um Yeah, and I guess another thing just being like, yeah, like I like what you said before about just wanting to convey a message like far and wide. I I very much feel that way about my Mercury. It's like, you know, it's literally like having a microphone, like a megaphone. (laughs) Um, All caps. Sag is very loud, (laughs) yeah. Um, I, I usually say that about Mercury and, and Leo, but I think with Mercury and Leo, it's more about like having a microphone and like being on stage and being like, listen to me, I'm going to share this message in a really entertaining way. Um, in Sag, it's just like, no, you need to hear the truth and I'm here to deliver the truth. Um, and I guess in contrast to that, Mercury and its fall in um, Pisces, also Jupiter ruled but there's this element of, um, well, in water, Mercury, Mercury is considered mute in all of the water signs. Um, and that's because you can't talk underwater. Just, you, can't, you can't do it. <laughs> um, but you learn how to communicate in other ways. And one of the ways I like to describe Mercury in Pisces or in any water sign, but especially in Pisces, there's this... Um, yeah, nonverbal communication and, um, you know, communicating very much like psychically a lot of the times or um, just through compassion and empathy and like communication just becomes this a totally different thing when you're talking about Mercury and Pisces. Poetry comes to mind, um, like music and, and like beautiful lyricism and um painting like art like communicating through art and movement and dance and um yeah even like like palm reading for some reason just came to my mind and things that have to do with like you know more psychic and spiritual methods of conveying information um and and yeah it's in its fall in pisces um opposite is exaltation in virgo because it doesn't, it doesn't do Mercury in like a in a normally in a normal Mercury way. It's not communicating through these facts and figures and data and um, yeah, it's it's doing it in this very like liminal liminal way. I have to do, do the hands with that. <laughs> That's totally something I notice about um, Mercury in Pisces. It's like 
I mean, I think it's true in general. Like, I mean, I think this is something that even like social sciences say that like the the you know the larger percent of like meaningful communication is not actually happening through words. It's like what we're doing with our whole body. But I feel like that's just like extra extra true for Mercury and Pisces. Like, it's 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 yeah, it it is not. It's an expression that has much more to do with gesture than it does with with like language because there's a way in which like words uh concretize and kind of like make solid and fixed and kind of like this is a thing now whereas like kind of pisces has this very anti-thingness to it because it's like it's like all together you know it's like all connected yeah, it's like very all... non-material mm-hmm. yeah. and i think also think of that as a as a polarity between like analysis and synthesis, like I think Mercury in its normal mode is more of an analytical planet. Um, but you know, in Pisces, like as a water sign and also ruled by Jupiter, it's way more synthetic. So it's like, like where you expect Mercury to be able to draw a distinction between things. Like it seems like Mercury in Pisces, like has a much more natural instinct towards drawing the connection between things. Like, it's like, how are these two things the same or like share of the same like essence? Um, mm. Which I, which also totally connects to poetry because poetry is a synthetic way of using language. It's like totally breaking down all the normal buckets and delineations that separate one word from another word. It's like, you're using word in a way that they're not normally um you're finding these more obscure or like related meanings of words or like how words are fitting together but not necessarily always like what one word specifically means um yeah i don't know i i i don't i mean i i love poetry but i think i love poetry because it helps me balance against the way that my mercury really functions in a highly analytical way and i think you know where there's like a learning edge for me when i'm sort of a little bit more engaged in poetry as a practice is like okay like how attached i am am i to being to using this one word because i feel like it means exactly the thing that i want it to mean like Mm -hmm. and sort of like how do i let that go which totally extends into like my tarot practice too, because like I, um, I kind of picked up tarot, picked back up tarot around the same time that I picked back up astrology, but I got back into tarot through Tarot de Marseille, and like most of the most of the tarot readers that read with that deck um, ha- have a, either have a much softer hold or or an outright rejection for us one card having any set meaning. It's just like whenever you like lay out a spread, like you have to kind of almost like go into this like beginner's mind, just like not even remembering what any one card means by itself and just seeing how all of them uh, like weave together as like and tell one story, which I think is also a feels like a very Pisces thing and a Mercury and Pisces thing. And actually I got back into tarot when Mercury had its long retrograde in Pisces <laughs> last year. So it's just like perfect. Yeah, tarot is such a Mercury and Pisces like medium, I feel like. Because um, you're, yeah, like like painting a picture through these like cards. Cards are so mercurial too. Um, I love that. I, I always think of like Mercury and Pisces 
I love Mercury in Pisces because I have Mercury in detriment and my favorite thing is to be able to tell a Mercury in Pisces like when they're trying to explain something to me it's like I get it you don't have to totally keep explaining it's I can I can read your Jupiterian Mercury I just feel it I feel it yeah it's it's Um, it's it's more like a like a collage or an impressionistic painting it's just like this word it's not what i mean but it's like kind of close and then they like put this <laughs> other one yeah. like kind of here and then they do a thing with their hands and it's like oh you mean this thing it's like yes that <laughs> yeah 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 and it's almost like a faucet like <laughs> oftentimes like a faucet turning on and like mercury and pisces people oftentimes like can't stop talking <laughs> they just kind of the words just like flow and flow and flow and it's messy which is fine, you know, I, I prefer it. I, I definitely do. Cause it, it makes me feel like, you know, we can just throw words out there. My whole philosophy as like a Mercury and Sag is like, if I can understand, if I can like pick up what you're saying, if I can understand like the basic meaning, then like, you don't have to correct yourself. <laughs> Typos, I don't give a shit. Like, I really don't care if you can spell as long as I get what you're saying um, where I feel like a Mercury in Virgo is like not about it, <laughs> not about that life. <laughs> Better be right. That's not what that means. <laughs> well, actually, well, that's like straight up. Well, that's where it goes. Yeah. It's well, actually, phase. well, actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I really try to check that part of myself. It's terrible. No, you're good with it. You're not. <laughs> my dad my dad is like that he has like a really intense virgo stellium like it's like saturn in virgo venus in virgo and south node in virgo i think and mercury might also be in virgo yeah so a lot he's a a well actually he does a lot of well actually yes i love that Gabe, do you have thoughts on Mercury and Pisces? I don't know if there's anything left. You got you covered over a lot. Um, <laughs> I do think uh, going back to let's you know do the the mirror image of the Mercury and Virgo stuff. You know, it, in the thing in the thing Mundi, Pisces would be the ninth house, so it's it's properly the house of religion and traveling to temples and mysteries and seeing one yeah divination, seeing wonders, and Mercury. In, a, in, a, in and of itself has signification over astrology and stargazing and all that. So, it, as the, the ninth house, because it's divination. So it's interesting that that house would be the house that it is, you know, in its depression, in its fallen state, uh, in an element that's alien to it, and uh, in, a, in a domicile of, of Jupiter, which is it's not happy with. So it's interesting that it, it gets put in that situation. And I think that's that sort of sets up the scene of how divination works, or at least operates mm-hmm. in. Uh, it's not chemistry. It's not organic chemistry, where I know if I put uh, two moles of this and one mole of that, I'm going to get one mole of this, and it's going to be like a very specific operation. It's a more nebulous world where you're, you're sort of at you're sort of at the mercy of uh, the universe, the cosmos, the, the sort of amorphous permeability of, of water. And you sort of have to, you have an idea, you know, what you, you sort of know what you're going to do, but you have to sort of ride the wave too and try to find what 
what it is that you're looking, what it is you're trying to say. And you're you're making you're making soup. It's just yeah. Like, mm, does it's this taste soup. right yet? No. It's a soup thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very not recipe oriented. No. It's it's yeah. definitely to your taste. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. I I really appreciate that reflection, Gabe, of like the whole like Pisces ninth house divination Mercury soupiness. That's that. Yeah, I'm gonna sit with that because I really I really enjoy that. Um, yeah. Well, to start to wrap up, I would love to talk about you know like ways to work with mercury um ways to maybe strengthen your mercury which feels like i don't know do many people try to strengthen them i mean i guess i do you know (laughs) we're in a fucking talisman but um yeah ways to work with mercury and also i guess like yeah you know what i'm gonna leave it at that (laughs) what are are ways people can work with mercury (laughs) well i mean i think Let's, let's do it in a mercurial way and try to be analytical about it and look at how, how mercury is in your chart, what it's responsible for, uh, what condition it's in, and pinpoint if there's a problem. You know, is there a problem? Where's the problem coming from? What kind of problem is it? Is it a Mars? Is it a Marsy mm-hmm. problem? Is it? Is it? You know, as someone with the Mercury Mars conjunction, uh, do you not know when to not say that? <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you? Could you not? Could you not tell the cop to fuck himself? Could you? Could you just maybe not do that? Um, you gotta like, yeah, you got. Well, you gotta. You know, you know. Sometimes you gotta learn the hard way, Kira. <laughs> and um, and but I, 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 I so hopefully the audience, listen, yeah, hopefully the audience will listen to us and not do that and just like understand, yeah. understand. Try to get the feel of your Mercury in your mind and in your spirit and in your life and say, okay, this is how I'm using my words correctly or not. And then make allowance for that. Or mm-hmm. look to see what helps. Look to see if there's some other influence that is a, ben- a more benefic influence on, on Mercury and say, okay, let me, I have a problem that's coming from this. I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to lean into that. And, and, you know, to maximize your strengths, minimize your weaknesses. Sometimes, because you can't make your, you can't make your weaknesses go away. You have to confront that this is, okay, you have an issue. Let's just accept that what the issue is. And then I can deal with it. I can, like, I can, I can make room for it and sit with it and make peace with it. And this is like a general approach for anything on in your chart. Yeah. Uh, and that's, this is probably, I mean, I, I'm, you know, obviously there's people who use talismans and, you know, you can say the Orphic Hymn on Mercury Hour on a Wednesday, uh, or, or, you know, or, uh, you know, Sunday, Saturday night. You can do stuff like that. You can do, uh, meditative approaches, like try to just think of your Mercury and like vision your, you know, one thing is like you look at your chart, try to, try to picture your chart in your mind and then focus on the planet in the chart. And then start to see its old relationships. You know, this is a good way to try to memorize all your dignities and all that. And try to sort of identify it, identify with it formally, and then just see where that goes. In, like a journey, like a journeying thing. There's that. Uh, 
another another thing would be to think about Mercury in a meditative aspect, but in like a, in a sort of witness aspect. So you just you think you think of things in that realm of Mercury and however it is in your chart, and just like but just you try to watch it in your mind. You don't try to embody it. You try to watch it on TV, and then see where that goes and what you're trying to do is you're trying to not get caught up in it so you're trying to like you're just trying to watch it go linger on and and see where it ends up going and see what uh how it you know reduces down to what what fundamental fundamentals of it are uh and uh that and then you can just cry you can just cry all the time <laughs> that, uh, that that always works too <laughs> Especially, especially if you have Mercury and yes, Pisces just cry, or, or just cry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. One one thing I would say um, is utilize Mercury retrogrades. I'm like all about taking advantage of Mercury retrogrades and honoring them for what they are and using it as a time for you know, just like you see online, review, rethink, reorganize. Um, but I think it's important to, to honor when Mercury is slowing down and then going retrograde and, um, you can get so much out of like, just paying attention to when that happens and then purposefully like being mindful and then slowing down too, and, um, using those periods of time to your advantage. And that looks like, you know, reorganizing stuff. It also depends like what Gabe said earlier, um, what is it responsible for? Meaning what houses does it rule in your chart? Where is Gemini and Virgo in your chart? And then do you have planets in Gemini and Virgo? Um, Mercury is responsible for them. And so when Mercury is retrograde every season, every um, three months or so, um, being aware that those planets too, like they're, they're um, you know, they're Lord, they're, their host is, you know, not moving forward and just kind of like holding that in your mind and kind of figuring out how, you know, what that might look like during these retrograde periods. So yeah, I'm all about Mercury retrogrades and using them to your advantage. Um, perhaps, you know, look, look to see if Mercury was close to either retrograde when you were born close to a retrograde station or uh, station direct too, and seeing like how fast Mercury was moving when you were born. I was born um, like 10 days before a Mercury retrograde. So I've had, my progressed Mercury has been retrograde since I was around 10 or 11 years old, um, which coincided with the me beginning to study astrology, of course. Um, and it's, it's going direct and almost exactly a year. I think it's like August 1st next year. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that, but that's something like that. That's really, um, significant for me is like knowing that my progressed Mercury is retrograde has been retrograde and kind of like looking forward to what it might mean when it goes direct. Um, yeah, especially because it is like in detriment and, but in such a prominent place in my chart. So yeah, take a look you can do that just by looking at your looking into it an ephemeris, which you can look up online um, for the year that you were born, or you know it's definitely best to have one, <laughs> a physical one. Um, but taking a look to see like what phase Mercury was in when you were born, and and how close it was to a retrograde, because 
you could be coming up on a progress retrograde soon. You don't even know it. Or you might have just gotten out of one. So take a look at that. Um, Jason, do you have any thoughts around that? Um, yeah, when I saw this question, I was initially a little bit stumped. And then I was like, oh, do I like, do I have too much Mercury privilege to be able to answer this? <laughs> you definitely do. We don't want to hear from you. No. <laughs> Uh, so I guess the only thing that really comes to mind is just like really zooming in on like Mercury's basic significations and kind of like turning them into like a practice of sorts. Um, you know, if, if Jupiter kind of like weaves together the big picture and kind of like, you know, joins things together in this unity, um, then, you know, one of Mercury's natural function is like, how are these, how are these things different? Like, what is the difference between these things? And I find that that is a very natural way for my mind for my mind to work and like how I learn about things is actually like to learn like to figure out what's different about things um and then sort of like circle back to that unity through distinction um so I think that like that could be something I think just you know I mean it's pretty basic but writing like like literally trying to put anything into words is is a mercury function and so I feel like if that is a a thing that is challenging like there's a really there's so many rich ways to engage with that as a conscious practice because there is something different that happens in your mind when it's like and you're sitting there and something occurs to you for some people it is like immediately like it's got it has words i could write it out what i just thought but for a lot of people it's more of this like proto thought like it's like not mm -hmm. it's like a shape of a thought and like Mercury's job is actually to turn that shape into something that's like more cut and more like distinguished and something that you can put into words, um, you know, like almost like a sculptor or a carver, you know, you're just supposed to like chip away the things that aren't, you know, what you're trying to say. And it's like what's left over is like what you're trying to express. And like that's kind of what Mercury is trying to do. So yeah, use utilizing language in that way and kind of taking that step of like forcing your your proto thought into one that is like communicable like i think taps into that mercurial function um i think in thinking about the relationship between the merc mercury and the sun um actually there's an interesting way in which like both of you brought this up about like you know gabe you talked about observing your thoughts and kind of like just seeing like what comes up in your mind you know and and Gary, you mentioned also like, you know, the practice of mindfulness and just like meditation in general. I think that's a practice that sort of unifies like sun and mercury functions. It's almost like when you are taking that mindful perspective, you're you're taking a step back from Mercury actually and kind of like centering in the sun. Like, you know, we the the signification of the sun of intelligence is not like sort of the way that we usually think about intelligence when it's when we say that word in English, it's more the capacity of awareness in a way. And so like when you're taking that mindful step, um, you're kind of like resting in the light of consciousness of the sun and observing what Mercury is doing, uh, which I think both strengthens Mercury, but also kind of like balances Mercury's excess. Like if you're someone who's caught up in like the frenetic like motion and activity of Mercury, um, being able to kind of like center 
in in kind of the light of the sun's awareness and sort of see mercury from a distance um kind of makes it feel a lot less yeah a lot less frenetic a lot less anxious uh you know kind of finding that position of calm that is like outside of what what mercury is doing um but also in that relationship um is also you know what what is it like to to just stand like between things rather than in front of things you know the sun is about stepping out into the light and kind of taking that foregrounded position versus like mercury is like off to the side if not like in the background um and so there's there's almost sort of like a humility practice that i think is like kind of connected that could be connected to the way that mercury functions um so i think all of those things are are things that i can sort of see turning into practices if you were to you know want to tap mercury's energy yeah i love that everything you said was really great really really important things i think to kind of sit with um especially the piece about like mindfulness kind of more as like a solar practice and being able to more observe mercury um yeah thank you for that and thank you both for being a part of this having this like super mercurial discussion with me i had so much fun um why don't you tell everyone where where they can find you gabe where where can everyone well find right you? now the usual i know, I know you're gonna say twitter, twitter that's but... the place that's the place <laughs> is uh, gibble resh on twitter right eventually there'll be a website eventually i'll probably announce that on twitter as that's the only place you can find out <laughs> so right now just if you're gonna come <laughs> awesome. for me come for me there and then i'll deal with you awesome <laughs> yeah and we'll have links to to gabe's twitter um below and jason how about you um kind of the same i don't really have a, a public presence as far as astrology like i said i feel like i'm still kind of in an apprenticeship mode so i don't feel uh yeah that i uh ready to hang out my sign uh so to speak but also like you know uh, it's in virgo in my rising signs as my first whole sign but it is very much in my 12th uh, quadrant uh, and I'm about to enter a 12th house perfection so uh, even I might even get a little bit scarce on Twitter going to the shadows yeah, exactly <laughs> so yeah just so I'm lucky I got you on here <laughs> exactly yep it's only before that only a month away from my birthday so oh well well, people can find you on Twitter in the meantime, and we'll have the, that link below. Um, thank you both so much. I hope to, you know, be able to talk to you again soon. We should, like, we should, uh, I feel like earlier in quarantine, we were we were gathering a lot more on, online. So maybe they'll come again. Maybe, we, yeah, we'll see. I'm, probably not until <laughs> after, after this shitstorm of, of a year is over, but we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank, thank you. So you. Much, thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed the episode, especially you Mercurials out there, you Gemini's and Virgos and 
Gemini and Virgo risings and moons and Mercury in the first house and you know all of all of my mercurial friends out there um, I hope that you got a lot out of that and yeah I'm just gonna leave you with the Orphic hymn to Mercury I'm I'm wearing my Mercury um, my exalted Mercury talisman um, which is yeah a Mercury and Virgo election is really pretty golden thing if you you've probably seen me wear it somewhere like on social i wear it a lot um but yeah um thank you so much tune in next week we will have venus with two very lovely venusians i can't wait to share that and i i hope this leaves you well um enjoy the orphic hymn to mercury Hermes, draw near, and to my prayer incline, angel of Jove and Maya's son divine, prefect of contests, ruler of mankind, with heart almighty and a prudent mind, celestial messenger of various skill, whose powerful arts could watchful Argus kill, with winged feet tis thine through air to course, O friend of man and prophet of discourse. Great life supporter to rejoice is thine, in arts gymnastic and in fraud divine. With power endued, all language to explain, of care the loosener and of source the gain. Whose hand contains of blameless peace the rod, Carusian blessed, profitable God. Of various speech, whose aid in works we find, and in necessities to mortals kind. Dire weapon of the tongue, which men revere. Be present, Hermes, and thy suppliant here. Assist my works, conclude my life with peace. Give graceful speech, and memories increase. <laughs>